Today's scripture reading is Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have been put and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, and with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to see you all here this morning. Turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We are, yes, still in Romans. But we are cruising quickly through this book. And today's another day where we'll try to get through it. The fundamental difference when you preach on sin is that there are two views. There is a common human view of sin where inside of each person there is goodness or perfection, or you may even say righteousness, and then each person tries to develop that righteousness and find it and then become a good person. The other opinion comes from God, which is a little bit different. God looks at you and sees a person who has a sin nature and therefore a sin nature that must be condemned. And the only way to escape this condemnation is to be recreated. So God sees a person that needs to be recreated, and mankind sees a person that just needs to try harder and get a little bit better. Two different points of view. Last week, we had a very difficult sermon on sin. 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 We started with uh, verse 9 in Romans 3, talking about all people being under sin. Under sin. The interesting thing is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And if you think you're a good person and trying to become more good, 
you wouldn't call yourself a sinner. The first thing that requires you to be saved is to see yourself as a sinner. To realize that you have broken the commands of God and that you need a savior. Jesus Christ came to save the lost, save sinners. This work is only done when you recognize your lost condition. I'll try to explain it. Um, I took my oldest grandchild last summer to a swimming pool. And in this swimming pool at this YMCA, it had all kinds of fun things in it. And he had fun going around trying all the different things. Uh, then after about 15 minutes, a buzzer went off and this bucket that had been filling up with water dumped down on people. And when the kids heard the buzzer, they all ran over to be underneath the bucket, except my grandson. He stayed away. And as he stayed away, I watched him because I was the appointed lifeguard for him. Okay, So I was watching him. And I was ready to dive in any time he had a problem being underwater and not breathing. But he stayed away from the bucket. Fifteen minutes later, the buzzer went off. Everybody ran to underneath the bucket. And he got a little bit closer to the bucket. When he got closer to the bucket, he was sprayed with the mist that came from the bucket and the water that fell down. He got a little moist from the water. Now, he did not experience the whole impact of the water because he was not under the water. He did not see the need. Buzzer went, he got closer. Buzzer went, he got closer. Buzzer went, he finally got underneath the waterfall and experienced the fun and joy of being plunged under the bucket. And then, every buzzer that went off since the rest of the afternoon, he was running to the waterfall. Now, for us, the water bucket that is filled up to capacity, to an abundance, is the grace of God. And to experience the grace of God, you cannot look at it from the lounge chair. You cannot even look at it from a different part of the pool. In order to experience the grace of God, you have to claim to be a sinner and then sit under the bucket. And then you will experience the grace of God. A lot of people think that they're good enough, that they have a goodness in them. Somehow they can polish it and make it better so that they can be more good. The God of this Bible says everyone is warped because of their sin. And your sin keeps you away from the grace of God. Now, Romans chapter 3. Last week, in the first page of the handout, you'll notice the same answers we had last week. That's because this is part two of last week. Last week, we talked about a heavenly courtroom. What would a heavenly courtroom find against the world? And we gave, I think, one of my better definitions of sin. That their sinful actions and sin nature are in a state of being that is contrary to the action and nature of God. That makes you a sinner when your nature is not the same as God's nature. When your actions are not the same as God's actions. When you are a sinner and you're under the power of sin... Your life is different. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says that when you yield to your sin nature, it produces an emptiness in your life. An emptiness. Psalm 82 says that your sin nature will produce in you an aimlessness. An aimlessness. It says you walk about in darkness. Psalm 68.6 says that your sin nature produces a loneliness. A loneliness. 
So with this sin nature, being under this sin nature, not being <clears throat> having the nature of God or the actions of God, you therefore are in a state of need. <clears throat> now you notice the state of need in your non-Christian friends, don't you? It's very obvious, the loneliness, the wandering, the aimlessness in their life. Nothing makes them happy, nothing gives them peace, nothing satisfies their desires. Because of this sin nature, you have nothing but problems. Remember verse 9 from last week, and then what are we better than they? No, not at all. We are already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. The accusation, what would a holy and righteous God accuse or charge the world in a heavenly courtroom? Their sinful actions and sin nature would accuse or charge people of being under the power of sin. Under the power of sin. Subject to the rule of sin. Subject to the control of sin. You will be a sinner. The evidence. Last week we started with the evidence. We talked about uh, justification. We talked about regeneration. We talked about all those things. Reconciliation. We talked about all of that, and we got, we left off at verse 13. Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. Poison of asp is on their lips. The evidence? The evidence is that the sinner does not comprehend the work of sanctification. The work of sanctification. That was the last point we had last week. And this week we're going to continue down that road of sanctification. Everything that we're going to talk about the rest of this time will be talking about sanctification. All these verses that he's putting together is trying to talk about your physical features, your throat, your tongue, your lips, your mouth, your feet, your eyes. The Jewish teachers of the day came up with 248 parts to your body, and they came up with each part being a part of sin. <laughs> sin. Emphasizing sin. You're a sinner because of the parts that you have. Your mouth is related to sins, which was a problem the believers had in Rome. When you, we get to chapter 14, which will be soon. When we get to chapter 14, we'll see they had a problem with their speech and their tongue and their talk and their messages to one another. But that's just an insight to later. Matthew 12, 34 says, The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The mouth speaks that which fills the heart. So, here we are. We're going to look at another list of sins, another quote from the Old Testament. Uh, he's going to quote from uh, the book of Psalms. <laughs> He'll expect you to know which psalm he comes from. He'll quote from the book of Isaiah. He'll expect you to know which part of Isaiah he's talking about. And he will talk more about our sin and how it's revealed to each person. Keep your finger in Romans chapter 3. You turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. <clears throat> Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Verses 4 and 5. You write in your Bibles, put a star on the margin. These are two good verses. Notice what it says. Therefore, my brethren, talking to believers, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead. When you become saved, you are joined with a resurrected Jesus Christ. In order that we might bear fruit for God. Your job on this planet, every day you wake up, is to bear fruit for God. 
Verse 5, for while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of your body to bear fruit for death. Here you go. I'm um, 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 prediction for you. You'll produce two types of fruit today. Fruit for God or fruit for death. Fruit for God, fruit for death. You will either produce one or the other. No middle ground. Either fruit for God or fruit for death. Turn back to Romans chapter 3. What will be the fruit for God or fruit for death that a person's life that has been a relationship with Jesus Christ and fears God will produce? What will he produce? His production will be seen in his words and his actions. Here we go. You ready? Here we go. Number one. Okay, projector, turn on. Why didn't we get this up? He did? (laughs) When you get up to speak, always look behind you first. Then you know what's going on. Dum, 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 dum. Dum, 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 dum. Da, da, da. Is it on? It's plugged. Are there any other announcements we need to announce? <laughs> next Sunday. Next Sunday. What are we doing next Sunday? Right after church. Right after church. We're having a celebration for those graduating. Eighth grade and high school. There's a business meeting tonight. Here it comes. Here you go. Yay. There you go. That's the question I just said. Here we go. What will be the fruit for God or for death of a person's life that has a relationship with Jesus Christ and fears God? That's a long question, but it has parts in there. It has parts that you have to have in order to be a believer. In order to be a believer, you have to have fruit coming forth for God, and you have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you have to fear God. You'll see how it works. Okay? Here we go. Number one, verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. Their throat is an open grave. What has to happen, number one, Nine things we're going to look at today. The believer's words will be healing. The words that come from your mouth are to be healing to the person who hears them. They will be healing. They will not be death. They will not be an open grave. Paul quotes five Old Testament passages here. He expects you to know which passage. Their throats... From your words comes evidence that Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with him, and that you fear God. Now, there are some of us that talk more than others of you. Okay? You understand that some people have more words they say in a day than you do. And they have a better chance of messing up. And they have more chances of producing sin because they speak more words in a day. Last week, I knew this passage was coming. And I prayed 
please God, please God, please God, give me a very easy week. Guess what happened? It didn't happen. Because he always wants to do something that will happen in my life that will be a perfect illustration of what not to do in the sermon. Speaking words. If you're going to make a bet on my sin this week, it'll have to do something with my words. Because I talk too much. Here he starts saying that your throat is not to be an open grave. The tenses are great. An open grave, perfect tense, continually open, always open, always open, always open, always open. Now, a grave should not always be open, but sometimes our mouth always is. We have to be careful what we say. We have to be careful that bad odors do not come forth with our words. The interesting thing about graves in that day was how they built them. So I got you a picture of a grave. This is a grave. That little kid is in the bottom of the grave. It's built into a stone, into a rock formation. And you build down vertically, and then when you get down a certain depth, you build a tunnel horizontally. And this kid is in the bottom of it, smiling. Notice the rock that his hands are on. That's the rock you put up against the mouth of the tomb. Now, notice if you're walking along and weren't paying attention to where you're walking, and you happen to trip into this hole. This is how our words are not to be. Our words are not to be a trap to somebody else. Our words are not to be to hurt somebody else. Our words are not to get somebody corralled into a hole. Our words are to be healing. Could you imagine falling into this hole? Could you imagine an animal, a person, falling into this hole? Sometimes with our words we do the same thing. Sometimes we make a trap with our words. Not to be. Our words are be healing. Number two. What will be the fruit of a person's life that has a relationship with Jesus Christ and fears God. Number two, notice the middle of verse 13. With their tongues they keep deceiving. With their tongues they keep deceiving. Here, continually, imperfect tense, you are not to be deceiving with your words. Your words are to be truthful. To be truthful. Do not deceive with your words. Imperfect tense. In other words, you deceive people with your words this afternoon. Monday, you take the day off. Tuesday, you deceive people with your words. And it's a continual activity in your life. You continually deceive people. You tell them something that is not necessarily true. Boy, that outfit looks good on you. Boy, that's a good haircut you got. It may even be flattering, but it may not be true. We're not to hurt people with our words. We're to be truthful, not deceiving with our words. We are not to be evil with our words. We're not to be hypocritical with our words. We're not to hurt people with our words. Three. What will be the fruit of a person's life that has a relationship with Jesus Christ and fears God? End of verse 13. The poison of asp is under their lips. Poison of asp is under their lips. The believer's words are to be controlled. Believer's words are to be controlled. You're not to snap out words out of control. You're not to be a viper. You're not to be saying the first thing that comes in your head. You're to be controlling your words. The Holy Spirit's to control your words. You're to have, by the way, 
God gave you words for a reason. You know what the reason is? So that you would praise God. You're not to poison people with your words. You're not to harm people with your words. Poison from a snake is rapid, certain, spreading quickly, producing death. Cleopatra, supposedly on her trip back to Rome as a prisoner, supposedly got bit by an asp, and she quickly passed away. One man found a rattlesnake. He kept it as a pet. <laughs> he kept it, worked well for about a week, two weeks, and he couldn't find it after that, until one day he moved a piece of furniture and got bit. A snake is uncontrollable. They will always bite. They'll always hurt. Here's a one. Here's a viper for you. This is found in Palestine. This is what the, the state run of Israel snake is. <laughs> Here you go. Viper. Viper. An asp. Always bites. Always poisonous always lifting up its head, always sticking its fangs out into something to inject poison. Are your words like that? Are your words like that? Your words are not to be poison, not to be hurting. Verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursing, whose mouth is full of cursing, what will be the fruit of a person's life that has a relationship with Jesus Christ and fears God? Cursing there is not taking the Lord's name in vain. Cursing is where you have a public desire for the worst of a person. Where you desire the worst for a person. That's called cursing. Number four. What happens? The believer's words are to be a blessing to others. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Words are to be a blessing to others. Your words are to bless, not to curse. Here it talks about your mouth being full. Used to describe a ship when it's full. Your mouth is full of cursing. You do not say what's good. You do not say what blesses. You say what's worse for another person. You dishonor humans that are made in God's image. When I was younger, in my 30s, the pressure of work kept me up at night. I couldn't go to sleep. So I would stay up too late on work days. And every once in a while, I'd be pushing the remote control, and I'd get to a preacher who had a late night show. And he was a funny-looking guy, had a funny beard, a funny rocking chair, funny Bible, funny cigar in his mouth. And I would watch, and part of his routine was to curse the audience members listening to him. He would actually use curse words when talking to his congregation. A believer is not to curse Yes, you're not to take the Lord's name in vain, but even more than that, you are not to berate or put others down and to wish the worst for them. You are to bless others. Psalm 10 verse 7 says, His mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression, and under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. Okay, listen, preachers are not to be too transparent. But I've already told you, I talk too many words. Because of my heritage, sometimes things make me upset. I know that shocks a lot of you. But I don't say the Lord's name and take it in vain. I don't. I say things like, 
gee whiz. Which, by the way, means what? It's a substitute for taking Jesus' name. Or, or, I will say something like, gosh darn it. Which is a substitute for God's name. Or, my favorite, when I'm really mad, I say dog breath. Which to you means nothing. But to me, it's a substitute. We have to be careful when we sound more like this world than they do. Be careful what you say. Be careful how you react to things. Number five. What will be the fruit of a person's life that has a relationship with Jesus Christ and fears God? And fears God. Look at verse 14. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And bitterness. Your words are not to be bitter. Your words are not to have something that has a bad taste to itself. Your words are not to be emotionally hostile. Your words, the believer's words, should be loving to others. You should not speak bitter words. You should speak loving words. Loving words. Hebrews 12, 15. See that no one of you comes short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many be defiled. You don't want bitterness in your words. You don't want your words to have a bitterness to it. You know, sometimes we sound like a church in here. And then we don't sound like a church when we get outside. I need you to think differently. Turn to Colossians. Chapter 3. Keep your finger in Romans. We're going right back. Colossians chapter 3, where the scripture reading was this morning. I want you to notice a couple of verses. I want you to notice a couple of tenses. Colossians 3, verse 1. Colossians 3, verse 1. Therefore, which is an interesting thing, it really breaks up the book. Uh, he's talking basically theology in the, in the front, and then chapter 3, he talks about practical application. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, that's a big if, if you have been raised up with Christ, raised up with Christ, aorist tense, in other words, a point in time in the past, there was a time you remember you were raised up with Christ. You accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. You began a relationship with Him. You began fearing God. You had a relationship with Him. It points back to the day of salvation. Raised up with Him, keep on seeking, keep seeking, constantly seeking, Imperative, command. You are commanded to seek the things above. Commanded to seek the things above. Every day you get up this week, you are commanded to seek the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. All believers should display actions that pursue the pattern of heaven. This week, your words should be words that they will speak in heaven. It is words that will speak in heaven. This is not gee whiz. This is not dog breath. You do not do that or hear that in heaven. Our words are to be heavenly words. Verse 2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Set your mind. Imperative. Present tense. Every day. Active. In other words, you make the decision to set your mind on things above. It does not happen to you. It has an act of your will. You have to set your mind on things above. Keep your mind fixed, focused on heaven. Every single day, you have to keep your head focused on heaven. I knew it was going to be a bad week. I knew it. Preaching these passages 
just constantly, God has fun with me. I know it. Okay? I am sitting here. I get up Saturday morning early. I work until 9.30. I'm ready to go. We go on some errands. Okay? We take a trip to Target. No. We had a trip at Target. They have these little bumper things made of rubber that are on the path when you walk into the door. I am walking. I am thinking about my sermon tomorrow. I'm thinking about what I'm going to say. I'm thinking about it. And I hit one of those little bitty things with this there toe. I hit it as hard as a human being can hit it with that toe. And if I wasn't an athlete, I would have fallen on my face. It was one more chance for God to give me an illustration for Sunday morning. Now you know what I said. Yeah, ouch. But my words should be heavenly words. Because my mind is to be focused on heaven where Jesus Christ is. And my words are to be focused what would Jesus Christ want to hear in heaven. Don't trip at Target. Verse 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood. What will be the fruit of a person's life that has a relationship with Jesus Christ and fears God? Number six. Number six, notice the change here. He changes from talking about words and he moves on to actions. Moves on to actions. Here he changes from Psalms into the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 59. And he moves to Isaiah 59, which is talking about the nation of Israel and the sin that's in the nation of Israel. Which, by the way, the same thing is occurring in Rome with the Jewish believers, thinking that they're better than the Greeks. This is a passage in Isaiah where Israel's call to repent of their sins. Paul is saying that the whole nation is still sinning, like Isaiah 59 says. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their feet are swift to share blood. The believer's actions will be life-saving actions. The believer's actions will be life-saving actions. You want, with your actions and words, to save lives. That is exactly what you want to do. The best way you can do that is by giving a testimony that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and that you fear God. You want to show people, through your words and your actions, that you love Jesus. Their actions are quick to shed blood. The action of a sinful person will lead to murder. By the way, if you have a baby born today, there's more chances of that baby being murdered than a soldier in 1940 entering World War II making it out alive. More chance dying today from murder than dying in the war that we call the World War II. Verse 16, destruction and misery are in their paths. Destruction and misery are in their paths. Number seven, what will be the fruit of a person's life? He has a relationship with Jesus Christ and fears God. The believer's actions will improve the lives of others. The believer's actions will improve the life of others. The word destruction there means to break up into pieces. To break up into pieces. Remember the woman came to Jesus with a perfume bottle, and the, it says, use the same word, says she broke the bottle to get the perfume out to anoint Jesus Christ. You have to break to destroy something. When you break something with your words or your actions, you hurt them. 
and they are given to misery and emotional response. They have the emotional response to the pain and despair of the person that's crushed. You hurt them and their paths, wherever they go, they have destruction and misery. You do not want to have a life that is destruction and misery. That is a life of a person who's under sin. That is not a life of a believer who has a relationship with Jesus Christ and fears God. You want to be different. Do not destroy anybody with your words and your actions. Verse 17. And the path of peace they have not known. And the path of peace they have not known. What will be the fruit of a person's life that has a relationship with Jesus Christ and fears God? Number eight. The believer's words and actions will lead to the only way of peace. Believers' words and actions will lead to the only way of peace. There is one way of peace. hope everybody in the room knows that. There's only one way to peace, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ and the work on the cross. You can have peace with God. You can only have peace through that. A believer, a non-believer under sin does not know peace. He doesn't experience it. It's unknown to him. He doesn't even comprehend it. He doesn't know how it can happen. Of course, you do. You need to share with him the good news. Peace deals with a believer's new relationship with God. Inward peace, outward peace, peace with God, peace of God, peace at all times, under all events. A believer has peace. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. The only way to God is by the way of peace. It begins with the work of God on the cross. It begins with the work of God through the Holy Spirit in your life. It begins with the fear of God. You have to have acknowledged and known the way of peace in order to get to heaven. Nine. What will be the fruit of a person's life that has a relationship with Jesus Christ and fears God? Nine. The believer, the believer's worship will demonstrate a healthy relationship with God. The believer's worship will demonstrate a healthy relationship with God. This is that word worship. That's different than the word worship in Revelation. This is talking about an act of service. Your act of service will be different because of your relationship with God. You will worship Him with your actions. That's why most of the time, worship doesn't take place on Sunday mornings. It takes place Monday through Friday when we go out and we serve. You go out and serve. There's no fear of God before their eyes. If you're under sin... You have no fear of God. You don't think he listens. You don't think he's here. You don't, you don't think he knows anything. I listened to a video this week about a guy who was demonstrating how there is no God. And I felt sorry for him. He was going on and on and on and on. And he does not know peace. He doesn't know the way of peace. He doesn't know indwelling peace. He doesn't have a future of peace. The correct fear of God comes from understanding God's holiness. The fear of God causes a believer to seek after holiness. We want to be more holy than we were last week. could go on and on about fear of God. Fear of God is the essence of a believer. It's how you tell a believer from a non-believer fear of God. Let me give you seven points real quick. You won't have time to write these down. Just get the favorite one. Here you go. Number one, the believer who fears God will have a godly wisdom. Godly wisdom. Job 28. The fear of God. A believer has fear of God will teach others the fear of God. Number three, the believer who fears God will delight in the word of God. That's interesting. If you have the fear of God, you will love the word of God. 
4. The believer who fears God will walk in the way of God. 5. The believer who fears God will have the knowledge of God. Proverbs 1. 6. The believer who fears God will have an abundant life. Proverbs 14. 7. The believer who fears God will have less sinful actions. Proverbs 16. How can a believer have victory over these sinful words? How can you have a better words come out of your mouth this week? You need to surrender your tongue to God daily. Seek to please Him with every word. Psalm 19. You need to seek to worship God with every word. Hebrews 13. You need to assume personal responsibility. It's hard. I know. But you need to assume personal responsibility. Don't make promises you can't keep. Don't make promises you can't keep. Don't make promises you can't keep. Matthew 5. Welcome reproof when it comes from somebody else about offending words. It's amazing. I say a word and I think it's non-offensive and somebody's offended. Okay? You got to be careful. Got to be careful. Ask for forgiveness for unloving words. Ask for forgiveness. Matthew 5. Don't make coarse jokes. Be careful with your jokes. Ephesians 5. Be very careful. Determine to give only a good report. Use only words that build up. Ephesians 4. Season your words with grace. Colossians 4. Here's a big one. Always speak truthfully. Ephesians 4. Application. This week, I need to grow in my sanctification. I need to control my words and my actions so that I grow in my personal fear of God all by the power of the Holy Spirit and produce fruit for God. I want more fruit for God. I want a harvest of fruit for God. I want to be able to trip when I go to Target and say, praise the Lord. I want to produce fruit for God. I don't want to use my words to keep somebody from heaven. The Jews thought they were saved because they were Jews. Paul's trying to correct that. That everybody involved is controlled by the power of sin, polluted, ruined, helpless. And that you need salvation from your sin. Okay, I got time. Here you go. There's a great one. I didn't know this. Now, if you all know this, don't tell me you know this. Just pretend like you don't know this. A snail. A snail. A snail. If you examine a snail under a microscope, uh, who would do that anyway? But if you did, you would notice the snail has a very interesting tongue. It's all rolled up in his mouth. When his tongue comes out, on his tongue, he has 30,000 teeth on his tongue. Thank you. 30,000. When it comes out, he's ready to eat something. Teeth are small, but they're strong. Your words are very sharp. You've got to be careful how you use them. You want to build up, not tear down. You want to heal, not kill. The cobalt bomb is basically an atomic bomb. Cobalt does not increase the explosive power of the bomb, but what it does when the bomb goes off, it poisons the food supply, the water, the lungs, the eyes, the pores of animals and people. The cobalt bomb, when it goes off, is bad. It'll kill you. But the cobalt can also be used in a healing way. 
Part of treatment to burn away cancer cells is the cobalt ball bomb is used <laughs> to heal cancer patients. So you got the same atomic bomb as two active activities. One, it can destroy things, poison things, ruin things, or it can heal somebody who's very sick. Your words this week can make a difference. Heal with your words. Everybody hear me? Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I pray, Father, you would help all of us with our words to be healing rather than destroying. Help us, Father, to keep people from away from the throat that's like a grave. I pray, Father, that you would help us to keep our words away from people like the words of a snake, the bite of a snake, Father. Help us not to be hurting. Help us to be healing. Help us this week to speak like a believer. Help us to speak like a believer who has his eyes focused on heaven, who has the words of heaven. Help us, Father, speak heavenly words this week. Help us, Father, not to put down, not to make jokes that hurt. Help us not to be sarcastic, Father, but help us to love with our words. And I pray, Father, you'd be with us, that you would help us this week when we go to Target and we trip, that you would give us the control we need by the power of the Holy Spirit over our words. Help us not to curse. Help us not to put someone down. Help us to build up, Father. Help us in our families to use proper words, to love one another. Help us in our church, Father, to use words that love one another. Help us, Father. Help us. Control our tongue. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.